man, when I tell you COVID-19 has ruined the NBA season and it's still ruining the NBA season and it might as well ruin the playoffs. Man, I'm I'm so disgusted. Paul George is going to be out for the playing game against the Pelicans tonight and that might shift the balance, but will it? We'll talk about it more <laughs> on Force Radio, man. You're listening to Pulse Radio. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the host of Post Radio, in the building for another special edition of the show on today. I just got to let a little bit of Nelly Heart of a Champion instrumental. That's my theme song for the NBA. I got to let that run because I haven't played it in so long. Oh, my gosh. It sounds so good, man, but it feels great that the playoffs are coming up on tomorrow and we have the last of the play-in tournament on tonight the hawks versus the cavaliers in cleveland and the pelicans versus the clippers in la but of course the covid is still going crazy we still have to deal with it uh it is definitely a bigger issue than basketball it is uh, more variants that have popped up uh since we uh, were dealing with omicron um, and a lot of folks are moving around like COVID does not exist anymore. It feels like pre-March 2020 out here in these streets. You look at TV. I've been watching wrestling recently. I see no mask in sight. Basketball, no mask in sight. You have the March Madness tournament, no mask in sight. And don't get me started on the Super Bowl and the national championship game. Man, listen, no COVID. They operating like COVID don't exist. This is a no COVID zone. But COVID definitely is still around, all right? And, of course, we found out the news, I would say about an hour ago, that Paul George has entered health and safety protocols. And because of that, unless something changes drastically between now and the time the game tips off, which I believe is around 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6.30 Pacific in California, he's not going to be playing. And I'm flabbergasted. I'm exhausted. I'm just done with how COVID has ruined this season for the NBA. And it's it's affected other sports. It has. But the NBA predicates itself on stars. And it promotes, it, it promotes the games based on the stars that are playing. And we already have stars that take these breaks and take these rests during the regular season. And Christmas is the marquee day for basketball. You know, Christmas is the marquee day. Like That's when you get your best matchups. And we had a great NBA slate on Christmas. I talked about it months ago. Christmas is my birthday. We still lit. So to me, like I was excited for all the games. But of course, COVID took Trey Young away from the Hawks where they, he couldn't play the Knicks. COVID affected Kevin Durant and Kyrie, ironically, playing against the Lakers. Of course, without Anthony Davis, but the Lakers had a surge going on. Like, they tried to take out LeBron, you know, with COVID and health and safety, and he was able to find a way out of it because he tested negative around that time. So it was so many games that were affected by COVID. Giannis was able to come back because I think he was really sick with COVID. He was able to come back and come back on Christmas Day against the Celtics. So we saw that on Christmas Day, and we saw for the rest of the Christmas season going into January, almost half the league was out with COVID protocols. So after a while, people came back. We didn't hear a lot about the health and safety protocols. We heard some coaches got into it, but, you know, they came out, you know, pretty soon, and the, and the NBA relaxed their COVID protocols. But now we're right back in it. And I can't be mad at the league. They're doing what they need to do to make sure that they're not causing a massive outbreak, number one. And also, man, it's just where we are. It's not nobody's fault, man. We're still dealing with COVID. Well, it is people's fault that we're still dealing with COVID because we could have masked up and got vaccinated and not spread lies about 
va- vaccines and masks, but that that's neither here nor there. All right. <laughs> At the same time, you know, um, people could have, you know, got vaccinated and got masked up, but it's not anybody's fault that Paul George got it. I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. I'm pretty sure Paul George will be fine. And if things don't go the right way for the Pelicans, he might have a lot of time to, to, to rest and deal with COVID. All right. Because he might be going home, but definitely hope he's not. And we'll talk about that in a second. But what I want to do today, and I've already started is I want to talk about the upcoming playoffs. So we do not know. We don't know who's going to exactly be in the playoffs because we still have to see what happens with um, the game against the Cavaliers and the Hawks. And we still have to figure out what's going on with the Clippers and the Pelicans. And then the bracket will be set. And then the 1-8 matchups will happen on Sunday. And I believe it happens like you have one I think at the beginning of the day and then the Suns and whoever they play is going to happen at like 930 on Sunday night. So it's going to be lit. It's going to be cool, right? So we essentially know the playoff field and I'm going to give my predictions of who will make it. And if these teams I pick don't make it, I'll deal with it later on tonight when I give my reaction. So you're going to get two broadcasts from me. So we're going to make it happen. It might come Saturday morning around 12 a.m., but you're going to get two broadcasts from me, man. We're working, we're grinding, doing our thing. So let's go on and get into it. Um, we're going to get to Paul George and the Clippers in a second. Uh, so the playing game uh, with the Hawks versus the Cavaliers, the 8-9 matchup. I am a Hawks fan, and I think I proved that in my last broadcast on Wednesday when I recapped the Hawks thrashing LaMelo Ball and the Hornets. But I think I'm objective because I I said that the Hornets, they have building blocks. And I hate that their season had to end like this, but they have a lot of building blocks for further success. And I think Michael Jordan finally has a perennial winner. And I believe that they most likely will make the top six seeds next year. If not, I think that they'll finally win win the playing tournament and get a date with either the second or the first seed in the East at the very least. But the Hawks are moving on. The Hawks had an amazing showing. Trey Young was struggling. They were trapping him. They were blitzing him. They were trying to switch on him. And because of that, it led to mismatches on the perimeter and also in the post. Danilo Gallinari was just posting up the Hornets and turning around and doing those fadeaways and knocking them down. And Kevin Herter was hitting his shot. Bogey was coming off the bench, gave you a good, what, what, 10 points? And then DeAndre Hunter finally stepped up. He was locking folks up on defense and locked up Miles Bridges. And then he was stepping up, hitting shots. I think that they're going to carry that momentum into Cleveland. If you look at the games that the Hawks have played versus the Cavaliers, the Cavaliers won, I believe, the game after the Hawks played the Mavericks on TNT. That, That game after that, they played... Um, that Saturday, I think they played like on a, on a Thursday. Then on that Saturday, they went to Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken, and they lost to the Cavaliers to start the year. Now, I believe that the Cavaliers played the Hawks again. They played them on New Year's Eve, and the Cavaliers looked as if they had the advantage, but the Hawks and Trey Young had a monster game. They managed to rally back and win. I believe that there's nothing that the Cavaliers can truly do with Trey Young. If you couldn't stop Kyrie Irving and you couldn't stop Kevin Durant, but Kyrie is is really the, the biggest piece here because Kyrie and Trey do not have a similar game. Kyrie is more so a shooting guard that moonlights as a point guard at points, and sometimes he runs off the ball in the in the sets that Steve Nash creates. But Trey Young is, is, a, is a point guard that's a pure scorer, but also a generational passer, right? He, 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 sometimes he's not even flashy with it. He just makes the right decision on the pass. And sometimes he, it's almost like LeBron. He's thinking two steps ahead of the defense and he always puts the ball where it needs to be. Yeah. He turns it over. He had three turnovers on Wednesday. However, he normally makes the right pass and the right play out of a trap, out of a double team. And it results typically in points. That's why they were the number two offense this year. And for the majority of the season, they were the number one offense. That was the reason why, because Trey knows how to set up his guys. I think that from the scoring front, I don't think Trey struggles tonight. I think that 
he goes for at the very least 30. He gets about 10, 11 assists, typical game. The Cavaliers have to figure out a way to slow down the pieces around Trey because typically what we say in any scenario, if you can't stop the star player, stop the supporting cast around them. And oftentimes Trey will go federal and the supporting cast does not put up the same effort that Trey does. DeAndre Hunter, uh, Clint Capella was catching lobs, getting 15 rebounds. You know, you had Kevin Herter shooting shots. Like, you know, you had folks coming off the bench that were making things happen. You got to make sure that they force Trey to go supernova the same way you want to force Kevin Durant to go supernova if Kyrie isn't producing or like he did against the Bucks. Because eventually, Trey Young is human. Yeah, he's 23 years old, but he's human. If he's going supernova and has to put the team on his back by the fourth quarter, he's going to be worn out and exhausted. And no amount of bench rest will be able to truly soothe him or the battle if he's having to put up a bunch of shot attempts, go in and drive, have to fight around double teams and traps. That's the Cavaliers' best game plan. But from the regular season games I've seen, I don't think they can do that. I think the Hawks are going to find a way to effortlessly score, and just like they proved against the, the Hornets, they're going to take the lead and they're going to keep it. Darius Garland's going to have to have another insane, crazy game. And then you have to think if you're going to bring in Deleon Wright to try to lock him down and play him at the, at the shooting guard, if, if Darius Garland, if, like, if they go Rondo, Darius Garland, I wonder if they'll go Trey Young, Deleon Wright, because Deleon Wright has actually been playing some pretty good defense. Or do you put DeAndre Hunter on Darius Garland to slow him down? Because DeAndre Hunter is by far the best defender on the team. And or and also I understand you have to have to hide Trey because they they'll be hunting the mismatch with Trey and try and if if he's not on Darius Garland they're gonna try to put Trey in in the action, but we know that Darius Garland had like thirty points on Tuesday. Do you want him to go for that again or do you want to just knock him out? You know, make sure that he slowed down and you contain him, and then force the other pieces on the Cavaliers to beat you which for the most part have been, has been underwhelming because Karis LeVert has not stepped up the way I thought he would. Kevin Love, he can show up, but I think that Capella and, and Gallinari, they can handle him. And you, got, you got playoff Rondo. Playoff Rondo tough, and, and Rondo maybe, maybe wants to have some revenge against the Hawks because they did trade him to the Clippers. I mean, maybe or maybe not. Maybe he was happy for that. I don't know. Okay, last year they did trade him to the Clippers. He he was supposed to be like Trey Young's mentor. They sort of brought him in to be like an, an assistant coach to, to Trey Young that played sometimes. You know, that was what Ray and Rondo was supposed to be. Um, but Rondo's an X factor. You never know what Rondo will do because playoff Rondo is real. And you can say play in Rondo, whatever. Rondo steps up in big high leverage moments and he's done it his whole entire career, even dating back to those days with the contending Celtics. So you never know because Rondo was making things happen on Tuesday against the Nets. So you never know with Rondo. But I don't think that Rondo gets a chance to cook because the Hawks are going to just far away, take this game, get some rest, and be ready on Sunday for the Heat. All right? So I think that the Hawks win. And let's talk about that 1-8 matchup. I believe, really quickly, I believe that the Heat are going to win. I'm not delusional. I'm a fan of the Hawks, fan of Trey Young, but I'm not delusional. The Heat will win in six or seven games. The Heat, to me, even with John Collins, have a better team than the Hawks. I wonder what Victor Oladipo is going to do because if Victor Oladipo is able to really produce in the playoffs, he's going to be a monster. Because if he's able to really, for real, produce off the bench alongside Tyler Hero, <sighs> Tell you, that's going to be tough. And then if Duncan Robinson can make his three-pointers and Jimmy Butler regains that form that he had in the bubble, and, you know, Bam, Bam out of bio is going to be Bam out of bio regardless. And you have your supporting pieces. You have your Caleb Martins. You have your, or I think either Caleb or Cody Martin, whichever one. But you have um, P.J. Tucker. You have your other supplemental pieces. And, of course, Tyler Hero coming off the bench. They're hard to beat. But I think that, it is a fact that Trey Young is the best player in that series. And that's been a, a huge talk 
on Twitter spaces, the Twitter spaces I'm in, you know, it's a huge talk of who's better, Trey or Jimmy Butler in that series. Trey Young is going to be the best player in that series, hands down. Because Trey Young can score, and he's also a playmaker. And Jimmy, to me, and I know injuries have plagued him this year, but he's not had the best season that he possibly could have, right? So because of that, I believe that Trey Young is the best player, and Trey Young's going to win two to three games. If John Collins comes back and John Collins has that rest, he produces and is the second star that we're looking for. And then you have um, Danilo Gallinari that's still coming in getting buckets. All bets are off. And and those games, those Heat Hawks games were actually very interesting during the season. They were very interesting. So I think that this is going to be a very fun series either way. If the Hawks lose in the first round, I'm not mad. It was an underwhelming year. They had to deal with a lot of injuries as well as a COVID outbreak that really affected their season. They were a very streaky team. If they were to lose in the first round, I wouldn't be mad. But changes need to be made. I'm not saying fire Nate McMillan. I've not been hearing a lot of that since they made it to the final game in the play-in and since they had a winning season. I've not been hearing that a lot, although I've heard about his questionable rotations. But if you win, people typically are quiet, right? So I'm just saying that maybe you got to think about getting Trey Young a reliable second guy and maybe you keep John Collins as the third guy. Like I know John Collins has a lot of interest around the league, but maybe you keep him as as the third guy, like your Draymond Green almost that can score, like reliably and consistently, and then you bring in another guy that can really put up buckets, and then I think they'll be a dangerous team that's for sure top three, top four in the East moving forward. But we have to see, right? So the second play-in game, the Pelicans versus the Clippers, C.J. McCollum went federal, had 30-plus points on Wednesday, put the Pelicans on his back because Brandon Ingram, just like almost every young player in these play-in, got into foul trouble. C.J. McCollum didn't, and C.J. McCollum was torching the Spurs. The Spurs mounted a little bit of a comeback. DeJounte Murray did not have an amazing game, primarily because he was sitting down because he had three fouls to start the game as well. So he didn't have that great of a game. But CJ kept it out of reach for them so the Pelicans could advance on. I wonder, like I and I said this on Wednesday when I did my postgame show. I wonder what the Clippers are going to cook up to contain CJ McCullough. Because the Clippers are good at keying in on one star player. I wonder what perimeter defensive schemes that Tyron Lue is going to dial up, especially without Paul George. But here's my thing: the Clippers have had no Paul George and no Kawhi Leonard and also no Norman Powell for a majority of their games. Cause Norman Powell got injured as well. Um, I think shortly after they got him from Portland, he got injured. So Tyron Lue has had to coach this team and make this team successful with less. So because of that, I believe that Tyron Lue is going to go back to the strength and numbers philosophy. And he's going to find offense from Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell is back, Robert Covington, He's going to find some level of offense from his role players because Tyron Lue knows how to create sets and run plays to get his role players going. Now, if Paul George isn't playing, Reggie Jackson steps up. That's just sort of the hierarchy. Kawhi's out. Paul George is out. Reggie Jackson becomes the guy. And typically in these high leverage games, Reggie Jackson goes crazy. And Reggie Jackson, I, I remember last year, man, Reggie Jackson could not miss a three-pointer. If the Clippers want to win with Paul George now in health and safety protocols and they want to make it to Sunday and hopefully they get Paul George back then against, against the Clippers for uh, against the Clippers for a rematch of the Western Conference Finals, Reggie Jackson has to go federal. So I'm not counting them out because they don't have Paul George. I just think it's very unfortunate when you have CJ and Brandon Ingram on the other side. Because if Brandon Ingram can give you the, that 27 to 30, because he, he scored 27 on, on Wednesday. If he, he, if he can give you that 27 to 30, and then CJ gives you 30, 35, I can't tell you who's going to win. Because I want to see what the rest of the team is doing around them, like Jonas, Jonas Valanciunas, Herbert Jones. I want to see what the rest of that team is doing. But all bets are, all bets are off. All bets are off if CJ... And Brandon Ingram are going off and the Clippers can't stop them. They're going home. 
But who do I believe has the better team, even without Kawhi and even without Paul George? The Clippers, hands down. So who do I think is going to win? <sighs> this one's hard. This one's harder. Because I leaned on my fandom a little bit and also the greatness of Trey Young for the Heat Hawks pick and also the Hawks Cavaliers pick. <sighs> I think the Clippers still win. I just, I can't see the Clippers going out like this after an amazing season. I think the Clippers win this one. I believe it's going to be a close game. Um, the Pelicans have done well without, like playing the Clippers without Paul George. So they've done well, but this is a high leverage game. And Tyron Lou has the opportunity to, to right the wrongs that he committed against the Timberwolves because they shut down Cat, but they weren't able to shut down Anthony Edwards. And then D'Angelo Russell started scoring. And that's the reason why they lost against the Timberwolves. More on them in a second. But I think the Clippers win. And if the Clippers win, they're going to take the Suns to six games because Paul George will eventually come back. Hopefully he'll be back for game one on Sunday. And the Suns are going to be dope. They're going to be good. They're going to be ready because they want they got something to prove and they want that ring that eluded them last year because of Giannis. But the Clippers are not a joke and they are a really good team. Coached by a great championship winning coach that has improved almost every year. He's great at offensive and defensive schemes, especially scheming up a defense to take your star player out of the game. He's great at that. So if, if he's able to, to cook that up, if he's able to do that and possibly somehow, some way, knock Devin Booker off his game, that's six games for sure. But I think the Suns are too good of a team and they're on a mission. Chris Paul is going to do his thing and Chris Paul is going to find a way to get the other guys going. And DeAndre Aiden is the X factor. I would say Mikael Bridges, but DeAndre Aiden is going to be who wins this series for the Suns in the, in the event that the Clippers lock down Devin Booker. I don't think they'll totally lock him down, but I think they'll make it hard for him to score. Because look at Devin Booker in, in those Warriors games. Devin Booker, outside of that one game where he got injured, typically against the Warriors, Devin Booker didn't play all that well because the Warriors... After that game where he came back, the Warriors, they were locking Devin Booker down and they made it hard for him to, to score. So if the Clippers do something similar to that, he is gonna, he's going to get his points, but it's going to be on free throws and high shot volume. And that's not great for the Suns, who are a, an incredibly efficient team. So we'll see. It could be a sweep. It could be. But I think you have to respect the Clippers. It'll go six. Now, if the Pelicans find some way to win, it's definitely going four games. It's going to be four games. Sweep, get him out of here. Get him out my stadium. <laughs> and Chris Paul is going to be able to beat his the team that drafted him because he didn't get drafted by the Pelicans. He got drafted by the New Orleans Hornets, okay? Their name changed in, I think, 2011, 2012. Their name changed because they gave the Hornets name back to what was the Bobcats, okay? So Chris Paul might, if the Paul George news is really deafening for the Clippers, Chris Paul might get the opportunity to knock out two of his former teams back-to-back. -back. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that one. But let's talk about the rest of the field. Let's talk about the rest of the field, all right? So we talked about the 1-8 seed. So let's talk about the 4-5 seed. So the Mavericks versus the Jazz. Luka Dantich has an ankle sprain, I believe. And we don't know how severe it is because they're being very tight-lipped about it. We don't know if it's a grade one, grade two, or grade three ankle sprain. We don't know. We know that Luca's in good spirits, and we know he's going to be out for game one. I believe that if Luca does not play a game in this series, the Jazz win in five games. Now, why do I give the Mavericks one game? Because it's the Jazz. <laughs> then the Jazz have not been all that great considering this year, and they've choked away some games that they should have won. All right. And Jason Kidd, say what you want about him. He has some very nasty things around him that we've heard about Jason Kidd. He's a good coach. And you had a string of games where Luka got injured to start the year. And I know they had Chris Porzingis. I know they had him. Right. But the thing about it is that they were able to get wins without Luka. That's why I sort of questioned why he played in that last game where he got injured. Game at game 82 back uh, last Sunday. 
I sort of question like why he was even playing that game because the Warriors most likely were going to beat the Pelicans. So they were going to keep the three seed. I say, you know what? Put Luka on ice to the playoffs. Put him on ice. Now, maybe that ankle sprain still happens, but it happens in game one. But put him on ice. It's fine, you know? But I get it. I get him playing because you want to see if you can get the three seed. But I just think that that was just, that was not a smart move and that could cost them the series. Now, I believe Luka's going to try to play, but I'm afraid for him to try to play because we saw what happened with Kevin Durant. And I think that Kevin Durant is the benchmark for how teams are going to really monitor their players and monitor their health. Because I believe that people now, after what happened with Kevin Durant, first that ankle sprain in the Rocket Series, and then he had the Achilles tear in the finals in 2019, I believe that that set the benchmark in saying, listen, we want to win this. We want to win these games. We want to win a championship. We want to win as many series as possible and advance as far in the playoffs as we possibly can, but not at the expense of the future. Because I think that people are now starting to reverse that win now mindset for forcing your star players to play with horrible injuries because you're going to mess up your future and possibly jeopardize keeping Luka because Luka might skate. If, if y'all aren't making sure Luka's good and y'all not making sure that he's taken care of and, and y'all are not advising him against possibly hurting his career and being out for a year or more the same way Kevin Durant was, man, you, you can't do that because you're going to jeopardize your future for a series you're most likely going to lose. Because even with Luka, if, if the Jazz really did what they needed to do, the Jazz are supposed to win. Yeah, they're the lower seed, but the Jazz are supposed to win. They have a, a better team. I came on this podcast and I said that the Jazz and the Heat had the deepest teams in the league. The Heat lived up to that prophecy. The Jazz had some injuries and they and they traded Joe Ingles because he got injured for the season. And that was, I was, I was sort of like, dang, that's cold. But you still got Clarkson. You got Rudy Gay coming off the bench. You got Royce O'Neal coming off the bench. You have Hassan Whiteside coming off the bench. So I, I would expect, even in the number five spot, I would expect for the Jazz to beat the Mavericks. With Luka being the only prominent player. So with or without Luka, the Jazz should win. But I just believe that with how the Jazz have been performing, Jalen Brunson is going to go off one game. It might be game one because the, the Jazz might come out without Luka. They might come out like, man, we're going to win. And then Jalen Brunson might punch him in the mouth. <laughs> just with this play. Spence, like Spencer Dinwiddie might punch him in the mouth. Bertans might hit nine three-pointers on him and win that first game. And then they gentlemen sweep him out the door. So... I was excited for this series, like Luka versus Donovan Mitchell. And we saw what Donovan did when he was paired against um, Murray, Jamal Murray, back in the bubble. And they were having like a historic back and forth. I was looking forward to that. But it looks like for the most part, at the very least for now, we're not going to get it. But I say if Luka's hurt and it's a grade two ankle sprain, do not bring him back. Pray for the best for your team. And maybe if it goes six or seven games, Luca can come back. But it's not. It's going to probably go five. So we'll see Luca next year because I want Luca to be healthy. He's a future face of the NBA. So I want Luca to be healthy. Do not jeopardize his career and his longevity in the third year of his career. Don't do that. All right. Now, the Warriors and the Nuggets. Um, Nikola Jokic is going to most likely win the MVP. Most likely. It sucks because I felt as if Joel Embiid had an amazing year and we grade players based on their success statistically, but also in rings and awards. So Joel Embiid most likely will not win an MVP award. Now, I'm not saying he won't definitively, but it's a chance he, he never will. Like, I think that Embiid had a better case for, for MVP than Jokic, but Jokic was up there for sure. But Jokic, and he does not have Jamal Murray unless, he come, unless they come back, unless Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. come back. He doesn't have Jamal Murray. He doesn't have Michael Porter Jr. You're playing a, a Warriors team with Steph Curry injured. And Steph Curry said that he still feels a bit of discomfort in his foot after um, Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year, dived into his leg. Great defense, Marcus. Like you, you try, you're trying to chop block your opponent. Is this wrestling or is this basketball, man? Like these hustle guys do the most, but that that's neither here nor there. But 
I think that the Warriors can beat the Nuggets without Steph. Jokic is going to be hell to take down. I must admit, he's going to be hell to take down and it's going to be hell to beat his team. But Jokic just simply does not have the help. Now, if Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., if they come back, okay, we'll reevaluate. But I just don't think that by, by himself in the playoffs, when the Warriors, this is their first playoffs since 2019, and the, and the Warriors really want to, to make a statement and win another championship, I, I, ju I just don't think Jokic can do it. I think he, he was dealt a bad hand. Maybe if he played the Grizzlies and, and they played the Grizzlies, maybe things will go differently, but not the Warriors. I think the Warriors get him out in five. It would have been a cool series if you had like maybe Jamal Murray, but the Warriors are getting him out of here five games, maybe six. I'm, I'm gonna give as a matter of fact, I'm gonna give respect for 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 the the future MVP to the future two time MVP six games because Jokic is gonna put up ungodly ungodly statistical numbers. He's gonna make a bunch of crazy no look behind the back, no hand passes, passing it with no hands. And then they're going to win two games. But the Warriors are going to beat them in six, and they're going to move on. All right? So the 2-7 matchup. So we know that the Timberwolves won over the Clippers on Tuesday. We know they won on Tuesday, right? So this is a very interesting series, and this might go down and be the most entertaining series of the playoffs. And possibly one of the more entertaining matchups in playoff history. The Grizzlies are good. I think they proved that they are a solid team. This is not a fluke. They win with John Morant. They win without John Morant. And they have a bunch of players that play their role and know what they need to do. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is a perennial defensive player of the year candidate. He should be up there on people's ballots. Or he should have been up there on people's ballots. So Jaron Jackson Jr., I think that... He's going to take the task of guarding Carl Anthony Towns well. Patrick Beverly is going to, is going to try to stop John Morant. The only, the only way he can stop John Morant is if he injures him. That's, that's the only way. I don't think Patrick Beverly and his hustle, oh, you know, 94 feet of defense, I don't think he's going to be able to stop Ja. I think maybe he can irritate him and maybe try to get in Ja's head. But the team is not just Ja. And that's the opposite from Luka. The, the, like, Luka's team is just Luka. Like, you know, like the Nuggets are just Jokic. Like John ja Morant is the main cog in, in the machine. But you have other ancillary parts that make the Grizzlies one of the, like the second best team in the league, actually. Not just, just in the NBA, the second best team in the league. But I don't think that the Grizzlies are going to win running away. And if you think they are, you're, you're tripping. I believe that what you're going to see is you're going to see a seven-game series because what you saw in that Clippers game is that the Timberwolves have a bunch of playmakers and a bunch of scorers. Carl Anthony Towns is the head of the attack for now. I think eventually Anthony Edwards becomes that top guy, eventually. And then Cat plays second fiddle to him. But Ann is still growing. But you have Carl Anthony Towns, that's the head of the snake. And the big thing is you want to try to, to lock him down like how the Clippers did because it's easier to, to do that. But then you have Anthony Edwards that can get any shot he wants. He's just as athletic as Ja and to me a better shooter, even though Ja has, has, has developed a reliable set jump shot, especially from the three-point line. Anthony Edwards is a better shooter. And then you have D'Angelo Russell, who is a third option. If Cat's the first option and Anthony Edwards is the second option, D'Lo is the third option. So D'Angelo Russell, as the third option, is going to get you buckets too. So you're not just playing a team of one singular scorer. You're playing a team that has one big man that can stretch the floor and then a slasher in Ant that can score anywhere he wants to, and then D'Angelo Russell can get a bucket. Then they have a, a pretty good bench, and then Patrick Beverly can knock down an open three-pointer. So I, I just I don't see the Grizzlies running rough shot over the Timberwolves. And guess what? Y'all swear that the regular season doesn't matter. I implore you to go watch the game where the Grizzlies played the Timberwolves on November the 8th. Now, I believe that same day, that was the day that Jokic like did a shoulder tackle into uh, Markeith Morris's back. I think that that was that day. So, of course, that great game, that overtime game against the Timberwolves with the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies, 
that got overshadowed because of that moment. And then also the Nets played the Bulls and the Bulls beat them. So once again, that like that the Bulls beating the Nets overshadowed that great game between the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. But go back and watch that game. I think that that's what you're going to see in this series. That November 8th matchup is going to be what the series looks like for up to seven games. Now, I think the Grizzlies still win. I don't think that the Timberwolves are ready yet, but it's not going to be an easy matchup. It's going to be a seven-game series. I will go down to six. Maybe the Grizzlies just figure it out, or and maybe like Patrick Beverly gets ejected or something like that. I don't know. Maybe Cat you know, gets in foul trouble again. I don't know. But Cat Cat has to deal with two big bodies in Stephen Adams and Jaron Jackson, and then you have Brandon Clark Jr. They're gonna they're gonna trap him. They're gonna double team him, and then Carl Anthony Towns. If he keeps moonlighting on the perimeter, they're gonna make it easy to to try to load up on Anthony Edwards. They're gonna make it easy for him. So yeah, Cat can shoot, but they need him to be in, in, in the post and suck the defense in, and then you kick the ball out to your shooters or you you. Toss it to a slasher such as Okogie, such as Tarian Prince, such as Anthony Edwards, and get easy buckets. So I don't know. I'm very excited. That that game comes on at 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, so I'm locked in. You ain't able to tell me nothing. I'm locked in, all right? So I'm ready for that game. So let's go to the East, all right? So we talked about the Heat and preferably the Hawks, presumably the Hawks. I said preferably. I would prefer the Hawks make it, but presumably the Hawks are going to make it to the eighth seed against the Heat. So the Raptors and the 76ers. This is the series, sadly, I must say, that you really have to be on upset alert. This is an upset alert series. Matisse Thibault will be unable to play in Toronto in games three and four, and also game six, right? So... I believe that Matisse Thibault is not Kyrie Irving because he's not the player that Kyrie is and he's not as important to his team as Kyrie. However, his defense is important, especially on the perimeter against a player such as Fred Van Fleet. So games three and four, be on the lookout to see what Fred Van Fleet does with Tyrese Maxey Gardner. All right, because... Thibault is the best defender on the team. I mean, I guess minus Joel Embiid. Like, um, Thibault is the best defender on the team, you know? So, I'm just saying, I, I wonder how that's really going to go, in, to be honest, with him not playing. But the Raptors can beat the 76ers because they, they can wear down Joel Embiid. James Harden has been very questionable. This is James Harden's time to put up or shut up. Literally. This is his moment to shut everyone up that's talking all that talk. Oh, James Harden's washed up. He's stupid. He should have never left the Nets. They had a super team. They were going to win the championship. Kyrie came back a month later. I'm telling you, man, telling you, this is put up or shut up time. This is is put up or shut up time for James Harden. If James Harden performs and and gets like four or 15 shooting, with, with 10 free throws, scoring 13, 14, 15 points, one of seven from, from, from the three-point line, 10 assists. The assists are great. I'm glad you're a playmaker. And I said that earlier in the year. I said, James Harden, if you're not going to score, if you're hurt that much where you are unable to really contribute by scoring the basketball, if that is what you're doing, pass the ball. Get your teammates involved. But he got to score, man. Because if he doesn't, man, Joel Embiid's going to get tired out and Nick Nurse is going to make sure that they play football with Joel Embiid in the playoffs. Because notoriously, the referees swallow their whistle. They don't call as many fouls. They don't call as many ticky-tack fouls, right? So Joel Embiid can't be MVP-level Herculean for seven games. I think the 76ers will win in seven games. But the Raptors are going to take it there, man. The Raptors had a, an amazing season. They had a season no one predicted would happen because we thought once Kyle Lowry exited stage left, we thought that they were done. Now I'm sort of thinking, and I know Kyle Lowry is the starting point guard on the number one seed in the East, but to be real, I sort of think maybe Kyle Lowry should have stayed because 
maybe they could have moved up the chain a little bit with Kyle Lowry as their definitive guy. I don't know. Or maybe Kyle Lowry, you know, being there was stunning the growth of Fred Van Vliet. So maybe it's, it's good that Kyle Lowry left so Fred Van Vliet can shine. I don't know. But the Raptors are a well-coached team. They have they are the modern-day team. They have a bunch of forwards that can switch and that can show you length. They can guard the perimeter. They can guard the paint. So the Raptors are the team of the future. The Raptors and the Clippers are the archetype of where the NBA is going. Switchability and players that can do both. They can score. They can defend. They're tall. They're majority forwards. So I'm telling you, watch out for them. You might see the heat and Kyle Lowry versus the Raptors round two. I don't want to go that far. I want to analyze what I see in front of me. But I'm on the bandwagon that everybody else is on that the Raptors could put the 76ers on upset alert. The X factor is James Harden. If James Harden isn't at the very least the 22 points per game, 10, 11 assists guy that can give you three or four three-pointers and that, and that can come up in the clutch and make the right play, they're going home. And Philadelphia might be having some buyer's remorse on the services of James Harden. All right. So 3-6 matchup, Bucks and Bulls. I kept saying this. I wanted the Celtics versus the Bulls so bad because typically and historically, the Celtics and the Bulls have amazing playoff matchups. But that's not happening. And we'll talk about the Celtics in a second. Right. The Bulls and the Bucks. I hate to say it. But Lonzo can't play. Patrick Williams has been out all season because he got injured earlier in the season, right? Zach Levine's been injury prone. Vucevic has been like, like just a dub. Like he hadn't done really all that much <laughs> for, for the Bulls. Like he's, they've, not, they've, not gotten what, they've not gotten what they bargained for and what they traded for last year. DeMar DeRozan has been the best player on the Bulls. And we've seen in these regular season matchups, that the Bucs can just easily knock the Bulls off their square. And the Bucs are going, coming in with a mission because they want to go back to back. And they're poised to do it. Like, they, like there's no, uh, I, I, there is no um, definitively just dominant team in the East or the West, to be honest. The Suns are a step or two above the competition, but they're not unbeatable. The Heat, or I would say I have step above above the competition, but they're definitely not unbeatable. So the Bucs can easily make their way back to the finals. And we could see a rematch of last year. We could. But I think that they easily get the Bulls out of here, but it's going to be a five-game series because I think DeMar DeRozan has one game where he just hits every mid-range shot he throws up. I think Zach Levine being in the playoffs, I think for the first time, he has a game where he says, listen, we're not going out like that. It might be game three. He's going to say, listen, we're not going out like that. Like, we're going to win here in Chicago. But the Bucs just, they, they're they are a deep team. I would say that they're probably the third or fourth deepest team. I would say the Grizzlies are, are probably the third deepest team. Oh, well, actually, no, 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 no. I, actually, the Jazz move off the list. So I would say the Heat are the deepest team. The Grizzlies are second. And... I would say that the Bucs probably a third. The Bucs have a very deep team. So I would say the Bucs are third and maybe the Suns are fourth as far as like just the well-roundedness of their team and the and just the dearth the players they have that can produce wins. So the Bucs have a very deep team. I don't know if, if you know, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan will be able to turn it up, man. But we'll see, but five games, five games, all right? So let's talk about the Nets versus the Celtics. <laughs> let's talk about it. So I've heard for the past two weeks about how the Celtics should be scared or whoever is the, the number one or number two seed should be scared because the Nets going to be the scariest lower seed in history. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And I've gotten so tired of it. And the media has promoted this narrative and they're the main ones pushing the narrative that, oh, the Nets are going to win this series. They're such a scary team. Oh, they, they really should be the two seed. But the Celtics have been the best team in the league since January the 1st. Ime Odoka should win coach of the year. The Celtics were out the playoffs 
going into the new year. Now they're the number two seed. And they just busted up the Celtics a few weeks ago. It was a Sunday marquee ABC game. They just busted up the Nets. And Kyrie played. So it's not like, oh, well, Kyrie didn't play. So see, you didn't get the full team. Kyrie didn't play. Bro, Gordon Drogic played. Kyrie played. Kevin Durant played. Jason Tatum scored 56. But no one's talking about how great the Celtics are. The only thing they're saying about the Celtics is that, oh, Robert Williams is out, so that's going to be a blow for them. Excuse me. Did Jason Tatum go out? Excuse me. Did Jalen Brown go out? Because those are the two X factors. Those are the folks that you want to see what they're going to do. Because the Nets have no defense. They have the most Olay defense ever. You know, like how um, back in the day you would see like on TV shows, you'd have someone that had like a red like cloth or whatever. And it was a bull. And then like they they have the red carpet, they have, have the red carpet or whatever, the red cloth. And they'll swing it and the bull will get mad. And then they move out the way and say, Olay. That's the Nets defense. <laughs> like, like I'm telling you, the Nets have traffic cone defense. They have Olay defense. Like they they have they have all that. Okay, they can't guard nobody. Jason Tatum is going to feast on the Nets defense. Bruce Brown is not stopping Jay, not stopping Jason Tatum. Bruce Brown ain't stopping Jalen Brown. Kevin Durant needs to conserve himself for the offensive end because he, he's going to have to play 48 minutes just for them to even be within five. Kevin Durant's going to have to average 40 points a game just to keep them close. Because you want to know why the Celtics are, go are going to beat the Nets in five or six games? Maybe even a sweep. It's because the, the Celtics have a team. Marcus Smart is going to guard Kyrie Irving. I'm not saying Marcus Smart will shut him down, but y'all say he's the, he's the defensive player of the year. I think Mikael Bridges is, but people are saying Marcus Smart is a defensive player of the year. So I expect him to give Kyrie hell. Derek White, who they acquired from the Spurs at the trade deadline. I expect for Derek White to give Kyrie some fits. I expect for Al Horford to score some points and give you at the very least a little semblance of what Robert Williams gives you. And who's to say Robert Williams won't come back game three or game four? The same way y'all saying Ben Simmons will come back. I don't care if Ben Simmons comes back. The next, oh my gosh, Ben Simmons is coming back. He's posting his shoes on his Instagram. I don't care. Why are y'all so infatuated about that when y'all should be talking about how great the Celtics have been since January the 1st? Since the turn of the new year, the Celtics have turned on the switch. And y'all are telling me that the Nets are going to beat them down? That's what y'all are telling me? So you're telling me that that 56 that Jason Tatum scored against the Nets, that was an aberration. That's what you're telling me. You're telling me that the Nets are going to somehow find a way to lock Jalen Brown and or Jason Tatum down enough that Kyrie and Kevin Durant can score their like 60 or 70 points combined together, playing 48 minutes a night, and they're going to win in a seven-game series. This ain't the play-in. And y'all, game one, y'all are going to see that. Because I'm telling you, the Celtics see what y'all are saying. The Celtics hear the chatter. And they're going to put up numbers on this on the, the Nets. And I feel sorry for Kevin Durant because this ain't Kevin Durant's fault. Kevin Durant had a masterful year, and he would probably be leading in the MVP talk if he hadn't gotten injured. And if he hadn't gotten injured, James Harden most likely doesn't get traded, and they might be a top four, four team in the, in the East. They might be. But he got injured. It happens. I don't hold that against Kevin Durant. Because he's come back and started and picked up right where he left off. He led the team to this seventh seed. Yeah, Kyrie's had transcendent games, but Kevin Durant's even become more of a playmaker. Kevin Durant's averaging, like, he's getting, what, 10, 11 assists now. He's done it for a couple games. I just, like, I cannot wait for this series. Like, they, they tip off, I believe, at 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock on Sunday. You have no, 1 o'clock or 3.30 on Sunday. Like, you have no idea how excited I am. You just, you just don't understand. I am so freaking ready. I'm so ready for this thing to be, to be over and done. I'm so ready. Oh my, you, just, you have no idea. I'm so ready for the Celtics to mop the floor with the Nets. And I can't wait to hear y'all's takes on it. I can't wait to hear Stephen A. Smith talk about it. 
I can't wait to hear Chris Broussard talk about it. I can't wait to hear Colin Cowherd and Skip Bayless and all of y'all that are just saying the Nets are just the greatest thing on earth talk about how they had an underwhelming season because Kyrie wouldn't get vaccinated and that messed them up for half the season. And he came back, started playing home games, and was underwhelming. Let's talk about it. But y'all want to take the easy way out. Instead of, instead of talking about the team that should have the clear advantage, which is the Celtics having a full team, minus Robert Williams, y'all want to talk about KD and Kyrie because it's easier for you. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to dunk all over y'all. They're going to shoot all over y'all. And they have supporting pieces that can put the ball in the hoop. So the Celtics in five or six. I will give Kyrie and Kevin Durant that much respect. They will either lose in five or six. Y'all make me sick. I'm telling y'all. <laughs> y'all just real life make me sick with these takes about the next man. But we'll see what happens. I could be wrong. And I'll say I'm wrong. If the Nets come back, let's say the Nets swoop the Celtics. I will come on here and say, you know what? I was wrong. All right. But I won't be. But <laughs> listen, man, the playoffs are coming up. I'm excited. I just got this news that came to me. Uh, this is from ESPN and Woj tweeted it. Um, Luka Doncic is for sure out game one. And it's a significant concern for his availability for game two. So that means that most likely he will not be back for game two. The Jazz have the opportunity to really go on and snatch games one and two and then take it back to Utah and just sweep them boys. They have the opportunity to, but the Jazz have been underwhelming. Donovan Mitchell is going ball, but he needs help. Rudy Gobert, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, y'all got to step it up because y'all have the opportunity to make this such an uncompetitive series that this might get the lowest ratings in playoff history because we know who's going to win. So, hey, I'm just saying, Jazz need to handle that, but I hope Luka's okay. And I hope that the Mavericks do not put Luka in harm's way, like I said. But nevertheless, that is it for me. Make sure to follow Pulse Radio on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Twitter at Pulse Radio 100. And on YouTube, just Pulse Radio. And I will be back later on tonight to give my post-game reaction to the two playing games, the Hawks versus the Cavaliers and the Clippers versus the Pelicans. I'll see you soon. You're listening to Pulse Radio. (laughs) 